Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is John Lukovich, sexual self-prez, four-wing five, four, five, eight, trifix. And I'm Karen Ance, self-prez social, three-wing two, three, seven, one, trifix. Welcome to the second episode of The Blind Spot podcast with uh, myself, John Lukovich and Karen Ance. Thanks, John. It feels kind of good to say our name for the first time. That was testing out this name, The Blind Spot. Do you want to comment a little bit on why we're landing on this as our title for this podcast? Yeah, well, uh, this was Kara's idea and I dig it because, you know, I think that um, the, and the instinctual drives, that the instinctual blind spot is kind of the, like what we're learning is to be more conscious of ourselves with the Enneagram. That the instinctual blind spot is one of the most practical, effective ways of learning to be, uh, to get outside of one's habitual identity structure that is determined by one's type, and to begin to access not just uh, a balanced expression of the instincts, but also um, starting to let the heart and the mind and the body come into their own rather than being hijacked by the agenda of our instinctual stacking and in particular our dominant instinct. And so not only is it a good word for that work, but generally speaking, we're looking at our blind spots of all shapes and colors, our shadows, and how to become aware of what we are blind in, what we can't see. And as we were speaking to you before we started recording, this work can't really be done in isolation because we are it's an it's a territory we are blind in and that we can't really self-assess in uh, with accuracy like we need mirroring and we need support and we need modeling from other people and you know whether we're talking just enneagram or inner work in general there is a portion of that work that we must and can and only can do by ourselves but there is a portion that must absolutely be done with other people for the reason that the whole personality is set up in the way it's set up to resist seeing our blind spots. Yeah, I love that. And um, I was thinking about a retreat that I was just at. And at the end of the retreat, we were all um, invited up to a basket and we were all invited to choose a stone from the basket. And these were very smooth, black, round stones. And the retreat leader invited us to hold our stone and to appreciate that these stones don't become this smooth, smooth, beautiful black color um, without coming up against friction. And that this is what working together and living together and being human is actually all about, is that we all come into this world with all of these sharp edges and we're going to rub against each other and we're going to create um, emotions that are pleasant and unpleasant. And it's through working with these and seeing what comes up that we really have the opportunity to grow and smooth out those edges and become that really beautiful, pure version of who we're here to be. So um, I just love this idea of continuing to look at what I thought I knew Mm -hmm. and that maybe I didn't. And can I be unfixated enough can I be open enough? Can I be curious enough to look at things that 
maybe I've been really attached to around my identity. And we were having a few conversations before about why identity is so important and why it can be difficult to release things that we have become super identified with. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about identity and the role that it has in this work. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the question, identity and and personality and essence and and the work, because for the average person and ourselves included, you know, our sense of identity, our experience of ourselves is conditioned upon our ego structure. And when we talk about personality in like, you know, if you if you if you come to the Enneagram from another an interest in other personality system like Myers-Briggs or something like that, like you we all have a kind of a sense of what personality means. But the way I think of personality in terms of the Enneagram is that it's kind of like, uh, you know, we have a physical body that is a vessel, so to speak, for our life force, for our aliveness or whatever, and that gives structure and shape and movement and whatever to it. I think of the personality as the vessel or body for our consciousness. And it's not the same thing. Like our, our consciousness is not our personality, but it can it, it is shaped by it. And it's, it's the attention of our consciousness is directed to certain things based on the structure of our personality. And the way our attention is structured determines a lot of our sense of identity. And so when it comes to working with the instincts and working with the personality, we have a very habitual and conditioned sense of identity based on a very habitual and conditioned sense of attention. And when we start to work with the instincts especially, that starts to shift the habitual channels or paths of attention that we've had and that have been encouraged through our experience through our whole lives. And it starts to shift who we take ourselves to be and how we experience ourselves and how we define ourselves. And so that process usually entails a lot of uh, pain because it's usually our habitual experience of self has been set up to deal with the pain that we either have experienced or we don't want to experience. And so uh, identity, in my experience, is, you know, the, the center that knows and experiences our identity is the heart center. And when we uh, start to work on the instinctual stacking and the blind spot and to integrate the blind spot, which integrating the blind spot changes our experience of our dominant instinct and it changes our experience of our middle instinct. So it changes all three instincts. Uh, it starts to shift our sense of self and it also starts to free the heart from being totally patterned, from our emotional life being totally patterned and conditioned by our instinctual agenda and instinctual stacking. Can so I interrupt you and do an example, John? Because I love everything you're saying. And as somebody that's been learning this material, I know that sometimes when I have a whole bunch of words and language mm. thrown at me, I start to like not track as well. So if it's okay, yeah. I want to just reflect what I heard and kind of try to do a few bullet points with it, because I know that you and I also deeply care about language. Yes. And I want to make sure that with our listeners, that we are defining a few of the terms that you just used. And I kind of want to put like 
a big like shiny asterisk around them because we're going to keep using these terms again and again and again. And I'd love to be able to reference people back to this episode to say, if we're using language that you're not familiar with, this is where we define a few of these things. So can I take a stab at it? Absolutely. Cool. All right. So um, you talked about both personality and you talked about the instincts. I think it's really important to name that these are two distinct features that are both feeding into our consciousness. And the way I've come to understand it is that the instincts are the energy that's like driving the motor. And when we talk about the instincts, we're talking about self-preservation, we're talking about social, and we're talking about sexual. So these are the energies that primarily use the term dominant. So that's the first one in our stack. And you use the secondary. And these are the two that are mostly driving our experience. And then there's this blind spot that's still there, but it's one that we give less priority to. So um, when we're looking at what's driving our engine, we now have a personality structure that's on top of that. And that's the strategies that we've adopted to meet those instinctual needs. Mm -hmm. And this um, personality that we have has been developed over time based on a few factors. And I just want to highlight those because I know that this is an area where there's still some controversy And I want to share how I've come to understand it and then hear your reflections, John, because I think that before we talk about how do we unpack it, how do we work with it, I'd like to touch on, well, how do we get it in the first place? Is that cool? Yeah. Totally. So um, I think that many of us believe that we are born with a certain biology that probably makes the any type we're going to have like a done deal from birth that's what i've heard a lot do you agree with that yeah i think so okay so we're probably born with it on some level and um and then we're going to obviously have object relations so we're going to have these experiences with our parents and so the way i experience this is that um that's going to kind of like push us So now I'm actually even disagreeing with myself. What if we're born with it, but then we have certain object relations and then we have certain societal contexts that are all playing into this. So I think that many of us believe that while um, we are going to have a strong biological predisposition, and I think that this shows up in like, say, an assertive type probably has a biology that's different from a withdrawn type. There's something about that biology that's going to make you more likely to lean in. And then um, as opposed to like pull back. But a lot of these other factors, I think part of the reason why we say don't try to type your kids or label them is because we're probably operating from our own blind spot, not seeing everything that they are feeding into this sense of identity and actually inhibiting their ability to find their true sense of self because there are a multitude of factors going on in their inner world that we can never know but we probably can sense and see certain things, especially when we've done this work for a while. So I actually said two different things. So I hope that everybody is perfectly confused. There are some people believe that you are completely born with it and that it's just fated to be, but then there are object relations that happen in those first three years of life and then throughout life, but particularly in those first seven years, I think I've most of the science points to, there are traumatic events and there are things that rattle our little nervous systems. And then these kind of lay over the consciousness we're developing, feed into our identity, feed into our strategies and make our sense of self even more rigid as we go through the lifespan. What do you yep. like about that? And what do you want to correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I largely agree with you. I, I The way I view it is that we are born 
through, we're born as one of the nine personality types. And actually, not even personality yet. We're born sensitive or uh, resonant with a particular essential quality that we can have organized around the Enneagram. And that we're born and infancy and, and being a toddler, a young child is about not only learning to uh, regulate yourself and to like learn how to survive independently, still in relationship, but like, you know, gradually more self autonomy and independence, but it's also a psychological uh, birth. It's, it's forming a structure to that essential sensitivity, that sense of um, an essential quality that is a quality of our consciousness that it feels most resonant with our sense of identity, our sense of our heart, our sense of where who we are. And that, you know, be, being an infant and then a toddler and a young child, you are learning to organize how you self-regulate, how you survive, how you take care of your own needs and identify your needs and pursue the fulfillment of those needs. And that is the part where the personality starts to become structured. That's the development of the instinctual drives that structures the personality. And that, unless we've had some kind of exceptional upbringing, nearly all of us have been directed to how we fulfill these instinctual needs and how these instinctual needs are more or less related to our sense of self. And at When the you say directed to, is that internally directed or externally directed? Both, in okay. the sense that there's a natural, you know, as as a, as a, as an infant, we, you know, we're being fed by mom, and then gradually, mom is putting uh, foods of more or less solidity in front of us, and that we're our attention is going from uh, just waiting for a nipple to come into our mouth to learning how to move our fingers to get the Cheerio to put it in our mouths, and so there's a external encouragement you know, where the kid is getting praise for feeding his or herself. But there's also the inner shift where I'm not just looking primarily towards mother's body to give me what I need, but I'm also looking to my own capacities, my own motor skills, and I'm looking to the actual baby food or whatever it is that I'm supposed to eat. And so that process of, like, if I'm just waiting for a nipple to arrive into my mouth, there's very little psychological structure needed. There's very little sense of needing to identify my own needs or recognize anything outside of myself because it's just like a, it's an automatic satiation. But as I'm gaining a sense that there's a me that needs some something to fulfill it, I'm having to identify or have a sense of me-ness and a sense of something that can fulfill it and how the 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 capacities I need to fulfill that it's like moving my little fingers or whatever and knowing that this is something I can eat, but that's not something I can eat that can fulfill me. That starts to shape and color a, a sense of uh, a personality structure. And that personality structure tends to be what takes up our entire sense of identity. And so part of inner work is retaining that personality is that we need that to function and to be and to exist in the world and to get whatever needs met, to have friends and to have romance and anything we want in, the, in life. But it's also holding that with a deeper sense of self that we recognize as identity that is the 
in a sense, um, the source of our consciousness, you know, tying it earlier to talking about consciousness and how consciousness gets hooked in or identified with these structures, it, that consciousness is not the same thing as the structures. And so we're learning to hold consciousness with the structures without getting them blended artificially. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, The artificial blending is what creates the, the identification that creates the ego. Sure. And I just want to name that when we're talking about this consciousness, um, I think sometimes people talk about it like my essential self or the one who is watching, like my experience. Mm -hmm. And that this one who knows has the opportunity to connect with qualities that are more of this spiritual realm and less of that animalistic realm. And yet we need to integrate both the experience of the animal, which is where the instinctual drives come from, as well as this consciousness, this higher self, so that when we combine them, like you said, we will be humans with a personality structure, but we actually have that connection to the spiritual where we can look at the animal and we can be human and hopefully make more skillful decisions about how we move through the world. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that, like, you know, you use the term spiritual and that's another term I think is really worth clarifying because there's a lot of associations with that word and not that the way I'm going to define it is going to be precise or, you know, close the book on it. But when I use the term spiritual, I'm looking for, uh, like the unconsciousness that is not conditioned. Like, what does it mean that, like, what can consciousness be when it is not conditioned? And you can, you know, that can, that can, uh, get into higher states and whatever different experiences, but it doesn't have to go to anything, quote, supernatural or anything like that. It can just be in the this, this sense of what does it mean when my consciousness is not wholly identified with a personality pattern and structure? And something else, I don't, I can't remember if you actually said it or not, but it just lights up for me, is that the instinctual drives, the basis of the personality, uh, these are automatic, you know, that we don't have any choice in uh, our hunger. We don't have any choice in our attraction. And we don't have any choice in the sense of being lonely or not. These are automatic processes. And so when we're identified with these ap instinctual appetites, most of us have a habitual chain of associations that stem from those sensations, those appetites, those experiences. And so, uh, you know, we talked about this before we started hitting record, of how hunger could generate certain uh, unconscious, could ping on different unconscious memories or traumas or whatever, lead to a whole string of reactions and ways of trying to deal with hunger and, and what, et cetera, et cetera. When we don't do any kind of inner work or work to experience and hold consciousness separate but present with those instinctual drives and instinctual reactions and instinctual and emotional associations and the thoughts around those associations, our sense of self is wholly automatic. And in the words of Gurdjieff, who we'll talk about at some point, uh, mechanical, and that there's nobody really home. It's like we're a computer program that's just getting certain inputs and based on our history, coming to a, uh, a result or reaction that is there's there's no real choice in in any kind of meaningful sense. And so learning about the Enneagram, learning about the instincts and doing inner work to to create a kind of a, 
a, a, an active inner life means something that can be with and witness those programs, those reactions, those drives, and not give everything over to them such that our entire identity is based in just the reactions we're having or not having around instinct. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to um, clarify, you know, so what I heard you said is, yes, we're born with one of these nine points. We then enter into these object relations with the caregiver. And as we continue to develop more autonomy and more ability to interact with our environment, this is where our personality structure solidifies and we get more of this sense of self. And that when you combine that with the instinctual drives that are running the whole program, we literally could probably sit here and until we start to work with our consciousness, we could say, well, of course you are who you are and you've made the choices that you've made and you're living the life that you're living, which um, is really kind of fun because it questions this entire idea of free will. And is there just this like perception that we're always choosing and yet we're making all of our choices off of the automatic programming. So it's really coming in touch with this consciousness that lets us have any sense of actual free will. And prior to that, we're just operating out the program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it brings up a, uh, you know, I don't know if it's too much to get into now, but eventually down the line, this sense of what is real spirituality and spiritual work versus what is just improving the personality and upgrading the instincts because a lot of people spend a lot of energy doing what they believe is spiritual work, which is not to say it's not good work, but usually it's just improving the circumstances of the personality. So for example, uh, I go from eating meat to only eating uh, organic vegan food is great. You know, like if that's right for you, that is a great move, but it's still just uh, uh, working on the circumstances of the self-preservation instinct and just improving something external, something instinctual, there's no spirituality there. There's no sense of, it's, it's, there's no beingness, which is a whole, you know, we can get into those kind of ideas, but I think that's an important and crucial thing to understand is that there's a difference between improving the conditions of the instincts and like real inner work that's like a real spiritual work. And I think that stuff that we'll be getting into in this podcast will provide some of those distinctions because it's really necessary to work on the personality and improve the personality if you're interested in spiritual work. They're separate they're they're two different things, but they're deeply interrelated. And I think that even making that distinction for some people will light some people up and to go, oh, I've been doing a bunch of personality improvement stuff, but I'm been neglecting, I've been trying to do spiritual work, but I haven't been actually landing on it. And so even if these podcast people uh, aren't quite illuminating all of what spiritual work is in this moment, in this one episode or whatever, at least it's giving me this sense of distinction that can be used. And and I I think it's immediately clarifying uh, for some people that, oh, like there's this thing that I feel like I've been working toward, but it hasn't been quite quite clear like why these things are not clicking. And it's like, oh, there are two different categories of work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can I bring some more vocabulary in? Please. Yeah. So I think one of the things we want to keep talking about in a word we're going to use is presence. It feels like it's important to name that. And so when we use the word presence, um, 
And, you know, I want to remind our audience, John and I have been working together maybe six months. So we are really having fun with flushing out ideas we've been developing independently Mm -hmm. from similar schools, but also different things. And so you're going to hear us go back and forth a lot. And we're hoping that this invites you to raise your own questions and be like, hmm, Kara was saying it from this perspective. John's saying it for this perspective. I listened to them kind of work it out together. How are we getting to where we're Mm -hmm. arriving? And so when we talk about presence, my understanding is, um, first of all, we talked about centers as well. We talked about the body center. We talked about the heart center. We talked about the head center. We could probably also do a whole episode on centers at some point, but I think we're also assuming that our listeners are coming to our podcast because they already have some knowledge of the Enneagram. They've been on some type of spiritual growth journey, and there's a lot of this information that's out there that we want to over a series of episodes, touch into and sort of give our understanding of and where the nuances are with how we're looking at these different features. But I think that when we're talking about this element of presence, we're talking about being here now in a way that is open and non-judgmental and is simply big, expansive awareness of sensing, which is another word I want to name and When we talk about sensing, we're specifically talking about being in the body and noticing the sensations that are coming in through the body. Maybe that's temperature. Maybe that's numbness or tingling. Maybe that's a tightness. Maybe it's airy. But there are all these different sensations that are actually coming in through the body that is what is true in our experience in that moment. And when we get really curious about these, We can know what's here and we can watch it shift around and change. Another term that I know that we wanted to define was this term emotion. And I know that I'm a big fan of Sarah Payton's work and the emotional circuits that she's put forth. And my understanding of emotions is that these are unconscious states that are activated that we don't have any choice over. So it's partially what you were saying with the instinctual drives. We don't choose our instinctual reactions. We don't choose to have a certain pleasant or unpleasant reaction when those instinctual needs are met or unmet. That's going to all happen unbidden. There are these emotional circuits that are present in all mammals. And then on top of that, we're going to start having thoughts related to the identity that you were talking about related to our structure. And we're going to start generating a whole bunch of feelings. So when we're talking about thoughts, these are happening in the head center, When we're talking about feelings, these are happening in the heart center, but whether these are the essence qualities of the head center, the essence qualities of the heart center are yet another layer of nuance that we want to make sure that we differentiate. So when we talk about these essence qualities in the heart, if you're an Enneagram student, you'll recognize these as the virtues. And these are these higher qualities that are separate from the passing feelings that we may have depending on our context and the meaning that we're making out of certain stories and how something's landing. And when we're in the head center, um, these integrated qualities, if you're an Enneagram student, we've called these the holy ideas as opposed to certain fixations in the head center or passions in the heart center. So I wanted to um, take a stab at identifying a few of these core terms. And while I know we have to flush these out a lot more, I'd like to hear what I missed and what you want to add to each of these terms that I just threw into the field. Yeah, I I, I think everything you said is great. Um, 
You know, we're talking about being present. What is present? What is present is our essence. And you could say our essence, which is, you know, the way Gurdjieff put it is what we're born with, what is actually our own as opposed to what is conditioned in us. So the personality is the con- is what is conditioned. It's the what we've, as we spoke to earlier, of like the the patterning and the associations and the identity structures that we rely on to help us survive and navigate the world. But when we're born, we're not a blank slate. We're not totally blank. That there are uh, qualities of our identity that we are particularly sensitive to. And so, when we're present, what's present? Uh, it's essence, but if we've done any work to be present, you'll know that it is very difficult to be present for more than a moment. And what this speaks to is that our essence is quite weak. When we're present and essence is present, essence is like, it's not quite consciousness itself, but is the seed of consciousness. It's the potential for consciousness. And so when we are being present, there is some degree of independent consciousness, consciousness that is independent of the activity of the personality. So as Kara has been speaking to, when we are present, uh, we, are, we are sensitive. We're not sensitive in a reactive sense of like, oh, I'm overwhelmed or uh, I have really deep feelings or something like that. It's that we are really making use of the instrument of our organism that we're given. So what I mean by that is that when we're present in the body, we are sensitive to the body. And the way that we're sent, instead of numbed out or tense or habitually pushing or whatever our, our default where there's not very much awareness in the body, when we're, when we're present and we're sensitive, we are aware in the body, the way, the medium through which we are aware of the body is sensation. Uh, the medium through which we are aware in the heart and sensitive in the heart is feeling. And the medium through which we are aware and sensitive in the mind is thought, but I like the term perception because sometimes thought can be just that tape loop of associations. And so there's like an awareness, a a quiet mind that is able to coexist with whatever thoughts are going on in the, in the head. And so it's like, it's like we have these, you'd say instruments of our organism, these, these short channels or doorways of perception and knowing and experiencing. And most of the time, what we are experiencing through them is really fragmentary and limited and not very not including very much of the capacities of the body, of the heart, or the mind. And so to be present means it's not like, it's not present. Presence is not the thoughts you're having. Presence is not the feelings you're having. Presence is not the sensations you're having. But there's somebody home with them, meaning there is something inside of us that is not wholly given over to our sensations as determining who we are, our feelings determining who we are, and our thoughts or perceptions determining who we are. There's something that can stand with, but not wholly taken up by them. And the more that we do inner work of various kinds, the you know that you're present when there's access to all three of those at the same time. You can be present in the body, but totally habitual in the mind and the and the and the heart, and you're not really present. There's a little bit of maybe like uh, there's a little something free, but you're not you're not actually there. And so. The, 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 it's, it's a difference between a kind of inner sensitivity 
and in an automaticity, a sense of self being wholly automatic, wholly uh, that's, that that automatic self is what we call being asleep. It's called forgetting yourself. It's it's going through the complete autopilot that is your usual. Uh, what is everybody's usual experience of their personality? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, I want to just comment on one thing I heard you say, because I have a slightly different experience of it, but maybe it's the same thing. Um, You were talking about presence and saying that, and I do know that it's true, that there's very, very little time that we're actually present. I noticed that I have a little bit of a reaction in my body, though, to this absolute that like I'm present or I'm not. Like, to me, it feels like there are degrees of presence. Like, I had an experience earlier today where somebody engaged me with me in a way that kind of triggered me, and I felt, you know, this tightness in my chest, and I felt myself kind of shut down, and I started having all of these thoughts, and I noticed some doubt arise, and I noticed tension in the body, and there was this part of me that was like, ooh, these are all of these signs that you're running a program. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What is that program now? So in that moment, it felt like there was some, and maybe the different term is awareness, because maybe in that moment, I wasn't present because I was noticing agitation in my body, in my heart, in my mind, but there was some awareness of that agitation. So is that presence or how would you, like, how would you work with what I just threw out there? Well, if I understand correctly what you're speaking to, you know, presence itself is not like an attitude, right? So you can be deeply reactive, have all kinds of tensions, but you're with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes I think it's easy to uh, imagine presence means the absence of agitations, the absence of hatreds and reactions and negativity and all stuff. And it's 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 not that. It's just what can be with those things and recognize that I'm not all my agitations and my hatreds and whatever. So that sounds like presence. And I, I, I agree with you that there are degrees of presence and uh, there are, you know, there are ways parts of us can be present and parts of us can be asleep. And it is very nuanced and complicated. I think, however, you know, my habitual position or the stance that I take from my experiences with the Enneagram and from the, from the fourth way Gurdjieff work is that it's always better to assume we are less present and that we are, or just not present. And, and that, that comes that, back to the blind spot, right? Exactly. Because like, no matter how much we're seeing, there's a whole bunch we're probably not seeing too. Right, because if we start to believe we're seeing the story, the whole picture, or we think we're seeing part of the picture, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part of us that wants to stop seeing. Mm-hmm. It says, all right, this is it. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, like I, I appreciate you tying it into the to the name or whatever is like, there's always more effort. There's always more to see. There's always more to reach for. Yeah. And I think that, uh, yeah. And 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 the the instinct blind spot is the 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 ground floor place to start with that stuff. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like there's always more. Well, and even just looking at how I worked with it, I was watching my mind be like, oh man, I was so excited to come home to record with John, and now I'm just feeling like I'm in this like emotional funk and man, am I going to even be able to show up the way that I want to? And this kind of sucks. And so, you know, this whole thing was like going inside of my head. But then I was able to like watch that and be like, well, 
maybe this episode will suck and maybe it'll be great. And there's this whole thing of not knowing. And so I noticed that there was like this choice point where I could continue to engage in what, you know, might be catastrophic thinking, which leads to emotional overwhelm, which would more assure that I'm not going to have the outcome that I actually would enjoy. Or I can kind of say, hey, what are some of these ways that I've learned to be with this experience, which right now kind of sucks, and just get less attached to the outcome of how will it be when I actually show up. And there's this element of distraction that happens. So sometimes I know the things that I can bring into my environment that are more likely to uh, regulate my nervous system versus things I might do that are going to lead to more fatigue or more overwhelm or something like that. So these are all things that I sort of get to experience. But for me, a lot of my presence practice has just been knowing where I am and allowing myself to be there and watching the shift and the change as it kind of works its way through me, as opposed to kind of clamping down, getting stuck in the story, continuing to resist, which in my experience doesn't really help. No, I I mean, beautiful. Absolutely right. Like, yeah, I mean, that's such a great example. It's like one of the things that uh, I think creates a lot of confusion and creates a lot of that diminishes the potential of of different modalities of inner work that people engage in is believing or seeing that you know for example you 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 come home ready to record a podcast and you feel like shit and you're all agitated and all whatever and that it's not about cleaning up your agitation or rejecting anything being present is not a rejection of anything and that's a pretty radical idea it's not uh even though it's sort of one hand, like, oh yeah, we say that it's not a rejection, but to actually not reject something is is a whole ball game. So, like, to be present is to be present with all your conflict and all your agitation. And it might be, I'm so fucking upset, I'm so enraged, I'm so agitated, I'm so annoyed, I can't do this right now. It's still being present. You know, that just says like where your nervous system is reaching a certain limit or saturation or whatever. But it's not about adapting a certain attitude where I'm not bothered by something or I'm not whatever. Ideally, we can be so present with our our personality stuff that when something big comes and knocks our nervous system, it doesn't totally override what we can do in the world. But sometimes it does, and that's okay. And that's that's something that I think um, really speaks to, you know, like we'll get into it another time, like, you know, a type nine, for example, might confuse being present with being unbothered or something like that. Or a three might be confused being present with, you know, not letting something affect how you're trying to function. Or a four can confuse presence with um, wholly indulging in whatever interstate is arising. And it's not any of those things. It's just being with those things. And so I think that's really beautifully said. And I think that, um, on one hand, such like a basic idea, but I feel like it's so uh, easy for the personality not to understand how it's like personality yeah. getting out of the way is not actually eliminating the personality. It's just not being all the personality and its agenda to get it in a box or get it away or get it to work in the right way. Well, and you referenced this earlier, like spiritual bypass is when you're just here in this Zen, peaceful, nothing is impacting me state all the time. Like that's mm-hmm. not actual human experience. And, you know, as two heart-centered types, I love that um, we really can 
connect with that heart quality of just experiencing a really intense range of emotions when we really drop in and see what's there, just like everybody can when they really touch into that heart center. But what I love to remember, regardless of what I'm experiencing, is that in the heart center, the integrated heart, the present heart, um, can actually hold these two qualities, which is love and grief. Mm -hmm. And that it's, we're just constantly, you know, longing for love, but we can also hold the sadness. And so often when I'm whipped up in emotions, a question that I learned from Sarah Payton is what is here that if I were to stop resisting it, I'm trying not to mourn. And that really helps me come back to my heart center when I notice that it's really churned up. Hmm. If I can settle down beneath all of this emotional reactivity, what's here that I'm really trying not to mourn? Mm -hmm. And just pulling it back to my example, it was that I might not be able to show up the way I wanted to in a given moment. You know, that that might not meet my need for contribution, that mm -hmm. that not, might not meet my need for um, ease or all these other different needs that are here. And when I relate to it in that way, I just notice that there's a very different quality that feels more tender, more expansive, and really helps me to just hold the entirety of whatever's going on inside of me or whoever else is showing up with whatever's going on inside of them. Right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well, I'm noticing that we're um, about where we said we'd do a wrap today. Um, I think it's cool that we took a shot at um, defining personality defining the instinctual drives, defining essence, presence, sensation, feelings, perception. Yeah, like this is the territory, right? Right. And so um, I think it's really important to have had this conversation. And I think next time we'll actually take a dive into these instinctual drives and start pulling them apart. How's that sound? Sounds perfect. All right. Well, thanks, John. Thank you, Kara. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review for us on Apple Podcasts, it helps us out a lot. And if you really enjoy our show and want to support John and I in creating more great content for you, you can go to our website, EnneagramBlindspots.com, and join our Patreon page where even $5 a month can really support our efforts to make this podcast sustainable without having to include annoying ads. On our website, you can also join our mailing list where John and I will send out offerings for webinars, discussion groups, and other great ways to continue learning with us. John and I also have personal coaching practices where you can sign up to work with us one-on-one -on -one, as well as group offerings. John is currently offering a book study group on Zoom and Kara offers two classes on Wednesday evenings. In one class, she teaches mindfulness-based approaches for working with anxiety, unhealthy lifestyle habits, as well as unskillful habits of personality. She also teaches a class where she combines her knowledge of the Enneagram, resonant healing, and nonviolent communication for working through relational difficulties. And please buy John's book, The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, to get a deeper understanding of how working with your blind spot can really lead to personal transformation. We look forward to connecting with you soon.